Okay, for all of you who have been saying, why don't we do a little country in the church? We're done now for the year. <laughs> Just kidding. I just think how cool, how incredible it would have been to stand there when Jesus that first time came before a blind man or, or in any of those occasions and actually healed this person who was in darkness and they saw. You, you have to kind of jump like that and clap your hands and sing. It brings that kind of emotion out of you. And that's the God we serve, a God who comes to each one of us in any situation we're in, whether worries or fears, whether shame and condemnation, whether it is full of some kind of sin or something in our life that is just pulling us down. And God says, let me come to you and love you and guide you and lead you and direct you. And let me provide light. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible God you are that you come with light. And, you know, you could come blind us with that light. And yet you, you know how to diffuse it to the degree that we're able to see you and to see ourselves and to be able to see others. And even with that light, there comes this warmth, a warmth that is so great it could just burn us up. And yet you hold back that so that we can feel the very warmth of your grasp and presence. So, God, I pray, Jesus, allow your spirit to speak to us and to hear and to see your light in our life to be people of the light, to walk in that light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I sometimes wonder how it is you can go day after day and something can be in front of you and you just don't see it or you miss it. Sometimes something can come right before you and, and maybe standing there and you may not even recognize what that person or who that person is. Well, that happened this morning with my daughter. <laughs> this beautiful 20-something with brown hair came and sat and was just saying hello to everybody. And I looked because she's a blonde. She's been a blonde all her life. <laughs> and she's vivacious and everything. I'm kind of paying attention there. I look and when my wife goes to grab her and hug her across from me, I go, something, who is this person? And it's my daughter. <laughs> I, I didn't plan to use that to open this illustration here. That's but it's amazing how we can miss things because we're not looking for them or we don't see them or they change or they're out of the context of what we might look for. Or they may be just the, it may be just the fact that we're ignorant and don't have enough information. For instance, I was reading um, as I was looking at, you know, being blind to things in front of you. There was a website that says early detection is best, self-examination. When it comes to melanoma the worst in the sense of, of cancer that can spread so quickly. The earlier the cancer is detected, the better, they write. It's important for people to perform a skin exam every month or so. Melanoma can occur anywhere, they write, on the arms, legs, back, the neck, and even on the palms of the hand or on the soles of the feet. And then they say, use the famous ABCD rules to investigate suspicious moles. A for symmetry, B for border, C for color, D for diameter. They give you this quick Kind of here are some signs, some clues. If, you, if you're not aware and you need to be trained or educated, here's four things you can do. And then they, they say it's important to perform self, these self-examinations yourself every month. You can get a doctor's opinion as well, but it's your responsibility. It's your health. And what I want to talk about today is kind of really put together some things that I just didn't have enough time to share in some of the first few messages around walking in the light and, and how important it is 
I mean, you can say, Pastor, would you help me or go to a small group or, or be involved in some kind of education class around the Word of God. But you know what? When it comes down to it, walking in the light, it's your responsibility. And so I want to share with you some signs, some clues that you can have as you walk in the light. What I find is very interesting, though, is that you can walk next to someone for years or you can yourself be engaged in life and miss some of these things in your own heart or in the heart of someone else. I think of the Last Supper. They're sitting around. There's 13 guys. Jesus is kind of in the center and these 12 are around them. They've walked together for three years. Jesus has been teaching them and training them. And I don't think we realize one of the things that Jesus is doing is not just training them in, in the things of the kingdom. He's teaching them about his word, about the understanding of, of what it means to, to hear God and to, to um, walk in understanding of this relationship with God so their heart is right with God. I think he's teaching them how to heal. I think he's teaching them how to pay attention to where there might be darkness in someone's heart so they can be engaged in helping someone. But here are these 13 guys who are sitting around the table. Jesus is talking and at one point he says in john chapter 13 verse 21 and this this amazes me when i was reading this in my quiet times i was amazed at this because jesus he says was troubled in spirit and he testified he said this out loud as he's sitting at the table and he used this phrase which you know you you kind of wonder why does jesus say i tell you the truth it's not because he ever lies it's because he wants to get your attention about something very very important he says i tell you the truth one of you is going to betray me Three years they're walking together. Three years they've been together. And it says his disciples stared at one another. Can you just see one of them? They're just looking at each other across the tables. Stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I, I just amazed at that because I kind of think with three years walking with someone like Judas, you, you might be able to see into this person's heart. You might be able to know what's going on in this person's heart. How is it that he could so externally look so good for three years that when Jesus would be sitting at a table with him at his last supper, he could look across the table and across the, 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 the group of, of 12 guys sitting there and he can, he can say to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they look at one another confused, not knowing who it could be. Was there signs? Were there some clues that they could have picked up on? Are there some kind of indicators when your heart might be dark? Where underneath, hidden away from what everybody can see, there is pride. There's anger. Hidden away from what other eyes might see, there lurks a judgmental spirit, a jealous heart. Hidden away from sometimes what you can even see. What are the clues? What are the signs? Well, I remember a few weeks back, I did this, uh, I shared with you this chart called the fully exposed life. And one of the things I said is it's not only our goal is to live in the light, but our, the growth in the Christian life is to love the light. To want so much for this light to to actually penetrate your heart so you can see those dark places, those hidden attitudes. Because, folks, a lot of people can look good in actions. I can look good in my actions. But what's underneath in the attitudes of the heart? That's what Jesus so often pointed his finger at. And God wants us to get in touch with this stuff. And I just put a diagram up there. And the first quadrant is this quadrant one, which is something that 
that when you live life, it's known by all. It's, it's a part of your conscious self. And then I talked about the fact there's quadrant two. It's known by you. Those are the secrets. And sometimes those secrets are things that are known by you, but could be in some cases known by just a few. Those kind of things that are still on the surface of your consciousness. And then there's quadrant three. It's those kind of things that are known by others, right? They can see it, but you may not see it because of denial mechanisms and different things within our life that keep us from seeing what's deep down there. And then there are some things in the quadrant four that are known, known only by God. And usually those are deep fears, those are needs, those are motivations. That, and I think the goal in the growth in the Christian life is to so much love the light, walk in honesty with God, yourself, and with others, that you bring those three and four up to quadrants one and two. That's the Christian life. That's what Jesus was seeking to do when he walked with those disciples. So are there subtle clues? Are there triggers? What I want to share with you is some what I call potential red flags that you should be able to notice in yourself and you can actually notice in others. In fact, I think if the disciples had grown and had deeper understanding of their own hearts, they would, like Jesus, have seen some of the things in the heart of Judas. There are things you can pay attention to. There are things you can see. They're not a guarantee. When I share with you these four things, and there's others as well, but just these four that I share with you, they're not a guarantee. It's a general rule. It's like Proverbs. In a general sense, wisdom says you can look at this and maybe see something. But as a general rule, here are some signs. And the first one I want to share with you, these four what I call clues or, or triggers, are this. First, take notice when you find in yourself or you see in someone else a passionate dislike. Okay. Again, this is a general rule, so be careful in this, but a passionate dislike. Pay attention to those people who maybe really tick you off. Ask yourself, when you get really passionate and you dislike something or you almost hate something, you know, we want to go right away to this is righteous kind of anger. You know how we like to do that? But I ask you to step back for a second and ask yourself, those kind of things you naturally don't like, Could it be there's something underneath that in you? Sometimes you might, with hardly any evidence, you find yourself being judgmental towards someone. You ever had that experience? This might be a red flag. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. If you want to take your Bible, you can see or we'll put it up on the screen. Luke chapter 6, 41 and 42. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck? of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. I mean, I have to be humorous. When Jesus was telling this, I think people must have been going, "Mm." how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank, this log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew, before this teaching, says this in in Matthew. Luke says it that way. Matthew says in verse 1, in in his teaching, in in, I believe it's chapter um, 7, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is a sense, if you watch, in a sense, your judgments, your passionate dislikes, you might want to look behind it and say, Is there something, is there a log in my own eye that I'm seeing the speck in someone else's? And it says, don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless you want the same treatment, is what Jesus is saying. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging back. 
And in some ways should boomerang back to say what's going on in my own heart. So Jesus said to those standing around, be careful, be in your guard with your judgments. The thing we see in the other person may be the very thing we hate in ourselves. That's why Jesus said, if you see a speck in someone else's eye, you may want to look for the log in your own eye. You see the blemish in someone else's heart, you may want to take a look for a second at the big, you know, that big spot on your own heart. The, the idea is really simple. You could almost put it this way. If you spot it, probably got it. Okay? If you spot it, you probably got it. Now, that's not true always, because Jesus obviously saw things and, 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 and spoke about them. But don't look at the person and think that you're devoid of judgment. It may be that if you are a people pleaser, sometimes when you see people pleasing in someone else, it just comes out and you, just get, you don't like it, you hate it, because really, you don't like it in yourself. It may be that the person that you're looking at is a really controlling person and you can spot it so quickly and so easily because in reality you are yourself. You hate it. But your denial mechanisms are such a way that you don't allow the light to show on in, in your own life. The insensitive person, the greedy person, you fill in the blank. But pay attention to that. That's just one. The second one is this. Take notice when you find yourself or someone else what I call highly defensive. It's a red flag. Passionate dislikes, highly defensive. I had to learn this early in my life because um, my own sense of shame and, and some of the dysfunction of my own family and upbringing, I had a lot of shame. And so when people would point some things in the light into my life, there were times in, in church situations and other situations that right away my defenses came up. And I began to realize after time that when my defenses were coming up, I was trying to protect something. And what was it I was trying to protect? So I ask you to think about this. When you get defensive, don't brush off comments like someone says to you, your wife, for instance, or your husband, or your child. You sound pretty defensive. Well, I'm not defensive. That's a tip off. You're defending something. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus is incredible because he is like a pit bull towards self-righteous kind of these attitudes of pride and judgment. He, he, he went after the Pharisees and the leaders of the, of the people who were religiously puffed up. He said to some of those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. Let me tell you a story, guys. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Can you imagine how, if you're a Pharisee out there, what you're feeling right now? The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, not to God, but about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like the tax collector over there in the back. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I do a lot of good things. He's praying about himself to God. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, says Jesus. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, says Jesus... Rather than the other, the Pharisee up front praying about himself, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus continues with a series of teachings that expose the self-righteous hearts of the Pharisees, whose faith rested on being right and more holy and keepers of the truth. 
And listen to their response in in chapter 19, just a little bit later after all these teachings. Verse 47 says, every day he was teaching at the temple. So he's teaching this every day at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the laws, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they couldn't find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. They were just grabbing onto his truth because it was so authoritative and so right. And their reaction was what? It was anger. It was defensiveness. It was even more than that. We have to do something to stop this message because this person is destroying us. And so you have to get into a defense posture. And a defense posture is usually one that's angry and usually one that pulls up walls and says, don't get in here. And so when Jesus exposed their self-righteous pattern, when he put to light directly on their hearts, they couldn't stand it. They became defensive and they became angry. And eventually they had to do something to get rid of not just the message, but the what? Messenger. And what they thought was hidden to everybody else, Luke tells us that they were really ticked. It's exactly what a person does when they try and hide the darkness of their own attitudes of sin. They'll do everything in their power to turn the light away. And I just want to share with you, pay attention to those areas or those times when you become defensive. Watch and pray, says Jesus, that you might be alert because you'll either seek to run and hide and defend yourself or you might actually attack. Those are the kind of positions people take in defensive postures. You think about it a second. If someone was charging you with something that was ludicrous, for instance, they sat before you and they said, you know what, you have just absconded thousands of dollars from the place you work. Would you get defensive? You kind of laugh, right? When someone looks at you and they say something about you that you just know isn't true, there's not, there's not a defensive reaction. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't take action steps to, to, to stop a message that is harming other people and yourself, that kind of thing. There are times when you have to step forward. But do you know that Jesus, when he was at the cross, as he stood in trial, do you know there was a certain time when they were making charges against him and he didn't even, what did he do? He stood what? Silent. See, they had already made up their mind. And he knew his silence spoke louder than words. It exposed, it exposed their silliness. Pay attention in your marriage or in your family with your kids or at work. Pay attention. God's spirit might be pointing something out. And pay attention when you become highly defensive. Watch for anger. Watch for attacking back. Usually you do that with your loved ones. Take notice, a third one. You know, passionate dislikes, highly defensive. A third one is this. Take notice when you find yourself or someone making strong what I call condemnations. If you turned again to John chapter 12, 3 through 6, we looked at this a number of weeks ago. It's the story of Judas. Here's Judas. He's in front of all these people. These 12, these, uh, Jesus and the other 11 don't have an idea who it is that is really the one whose heart is going to betray Jesus. But if you read this passage of Scripture, there's some clues to it. When Judas was exposed to the light, he did what people do for centuries. They run and they hide. And I'm not talking about um, the outer part of Judas. I'm talking about the inner part. Listen again what John writes in his gospel in chapter 12, 3 through 6. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. I don't know if they ever had a time after the resurrection to truly celebrate what had been happened. It's almost a celebration dinner. 
And, and so that's the spirit and the occasion here. And so they're celebrating. Martha served like normal. You know, we read that in other places. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. It was at that moment there was this sense of this celebration, this incredible honoring of this Messiah. The anointed one was anointed as he should have been. Nothing spared. Mary gave everything in that sense and, and, and lavishly poured out her love upon him and representing the love of all the others. And the room was, was filled with perfume and the smell of it. It was a holy moment until one of the disciples, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. John's writing afterwards, why? As the smell is there and everyone's excited. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I mean, just look at all the people that don't have anything. And, and I realize we're celebrating and I understand that Jesus is a really cool guy, you know. It's my paraphrase. But, um, but why take all this money that could have been used in such a wonderful way to help those? Who are in need? We have, you know, we have a soup drive coming up. Why well, wasn't it given to that? And he did not say this, writes John, because he, and this is afterwards, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. And I love Jesus' response. I have to say, those who are weak. And those who are vulnerable, those who knew their shame, those who lived in this, under the sense of, of feeling far apart from God or condemned, those, in many cases, I'd say women, as you look at this passage of Scripture, you would feel so safe being with Jesus. You know what his response was? He didn't start to, to defend it. You know what he did? He looked, at, he looked at Judas into his eyes, into his soul, saw his greedy heart, saw the thief, saw the shame. And he basically rebuked him and said, leave her alone. I just think that's so cool. That is your Savior and Lord. That when, when, when Satan seeks to accuse you, when he comes through a voice to shame you and to judge you, there is Jesus standing there. If you have opened your heart and you have, you've, you've made yourself available to him and you've, you've asked him to be a part of your life as you move into it, Jesus stands there and says, leave him, leave her alone. Don't take this life that is expressing their love towards me the best they know how. Even if they're not doing everything correctly. We, we have to hear this, folks, as a church. Because self-righteousness at its core, when it becomes really evil, is this need to be right. And so some way you're justified by being right. And having all the right doctrine and all the right knowledge. It is so wrong. I'm not saying that right doctrine is wrong at all. Hear that. Jesus never said that. I will never say that. I hold so strongly to this word. I read it every day and I spend ample time in it. And not just to prepare a message. But I say that because what that kind of attitude, that kind of judgment, that kind of condemnation does, it exposes a red flag that says there's something wrong in that heart. There's something wrong. 
And when I go and I shame someone else out of my own shame, because that's what he was feeling, there's something wrong with me, and I need to hear the rebuke that comes from the words of Jesus. And just look at those different occasions where Jesus points out how incredibly wrong these thinking they're right kind of people were. How about the time a woman falls at Jesus' feet at dinner, washes her feet with her hair before the Pharisees, and they're talking about love, and Jesus says, your love doesn't compare. Because her sin was forgiven much, she knows much what it means to love. How about the time a woman is caught in adultery, is stoned at Jesus' feet, and he's asked whether she should be stoned. Where's the guy in this thing? Jesus gets down, he starts writing things, and I think he, I don't know what he's writing, but whatever he wrote contrasted what their hearts were like, and he looks at them at a certain point, and he says, now who should throw the first stone? Guess who had the right to throw the first stone? Never sinned in his life, didn't have a bit of shame in his heart. Jesus, God in flesh, could have picked up the stone and hurled it and said, let's do it. Didn't do it. You know what Jesus says at one point in John chapter 17, verse 47, and I want to preach on this at some point later. In fact, in January, I'm going to start a series in Galatians that talks about grace because we as a church are going to get so into our bones and to our flesh what it means to be grace-filled people. We're going to go through that verse by verse. But Jesus at one point says this, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep my words... Okay, here's the person. He's telling, Jesus is telling them exactly what they should do. He's giving them instruction. He's saying, here's reality. And those first people who hear those words and then just don't want to do anything about them, you know what Jesus says? I don't judge them. Oh, well, come on. Jesus doesn't say, go read in your Bible. Go look at John chapter uh, 7. Uh, I can't read my writing here. 12. I think it is. 47. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep my words, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save it. Who do we, as people, have any right to think that we can go around judging anyone else and shaming them? It's not our job. We can speak the truth, and the truth may do that, but we aren't. That's what Jesus was saying. Let me give you one other. Take notice when you find yourself or, you, or someone making Bold declarations. Pay attention to these bold declarations. Not always. Jesus made a lot of bold declarations because he could stand by what he said because his heart was pure. There are times you can make bold declarations, but I would ask you to kind of let the little red flag, you know, you know how you have those indicator lights in your car go on when, the, when something's not right? Let it go on in your mind when you hear bold declaration. Whenever I hear that, I pay attention. When someone says, I never, I always, this is the only. Questions immediately surface, like, what's going on here? Who is this person trying to convince? Is there something hidden here that I should be paying attention to? Is there something lying in the shadows of this person's heart? If you look at Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Sift all. It's plural. He's, not, he's saying this to Simon, but he uses the plural sift you. He's saying all of you are going to sense be sifted. But he's talking to Simon, to Peter. But I prayed for you, Simon. Now he's singular again. That your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Listen to Simon's reply. Lord, 
I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I, I think Jesus is going, okay, Simon. Matthew 26, 35 records Peter's words this way. He says, Peter declared, made a bold declaration, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever disown you. You've got to ask yourself, what is he trying to hide? Who is he trying to fool? Who is he trying to convince? Do you think he's trying to convince Jesus? When the bold declarations are sometimes made, I think people are using words to manipulate the reality so they will see us the way they want us to see themselves. But often what's happening is even that person is trying to convince themselves. I think Peter felt weak and vulnerable. I think Peter was afraid. I think Jesus was giving him the opportunity for him to say, Jesus, I'm so afraid. I'm really, you know, I really want to go and die for you. But right at this moment, I'm afraid. And he had gotten into his heart. Because Jesus loves to lead us into our heart because when we get into our heart god is with us in it and in it god can do things so that jesus takes all of them he marches them out to the mount of Olives. he says we're going to pray he takes peter james and john he says peter james john would you guys come with me he says now you guys pray as well because you could be led into temptation he sits down with peter james and john he says peter watch and pray because the spirit is willing you you've made a spirit statement but your flesh is weak And they can't hardly stay awake because God in Jesus loves us so much. He encourages us. He warns us. He wants us. He wants you. He wants me to know my heart. So when you live in your heart and begin to see the things in your heart, and he doesn't come condemning you and shaming you. He just wants you to get it into the light. Because when you get it into the light, he can come and heal it. He can deal with it. He can strengthen you. He can give you the ability as you watch and pray to help you see the weakness, to see the vulnerability, to see the greed, to see the lust, to see whatever it is. He can begin to help you see it. And when you begin to see it and you expose it to the light, and then you call upon him because you know how much you need him, Because you can't do it in your own heart and your own strength. You are in a place where with your sin, you stand with God so he can begin to make you holy and good and right. So watch and pray and learn to see the darkness that hides under these bold declarations. The wife and mother who makes it clear to everyone. Have you had this situation? That my, my, the, my husband is the head of the home. She declares it conspicuously and often seeking to convince others and herself that really her husband's the head of the home. And everyone knows who is the head of the home, right? The person who is overly sweet all the time. And, and sometimes you say, this person is a saint to be living with this spouse or with this person. And, and you realize this overly sweetness is a, is a bold declaration of a life that's afraid to get in touch with the actual anger that maybe needs to be in touch to stand up to the person so that person will get healthy and they will as well. In counseling, I sometimes hear people say, with, with men especially, they're really funny. No way am I going to be like my father, never in a million years. And I just want to look at him and go, oh, if you would just look at where you are like your father, you could be better. Early in my ministry, I felt compelled to tell all kinds of people that all that it was about, and I consciously was, was about God's glory. And I remember just leading and sometimes leading in ways that were probably not healthy, 
for the whole congregation, but I remember doing it until finally I had this time where I was broken and God came to me in that brokenness and I began to realize now that I, I really consciously seek to lead and, to, and to, to do it all in God's glory, but I recognize there's a part of me that I don't see that gets in the way. You know, when you can get to that point and admit it, you, you help other people feel safe because you see your own humanness. And Jesus wants us to walk in the light. And it's our choice to do so. One of the things that I learned about this whole walking in the light was around this area of shame. It was when I was beginning to understand that when God would expose my heart to light, instead of running and hiding and beating myself up, anybody ever do that? When, when the light gets exposed to your heart, you see your sin, you see yourself, you just want to hide, you don't want other people to see it, you don't even want to look at it yourself. And what you then can do is you can, by a pattern that you've learned, and I believe by Satan himself, he will come in and you will self-loathe, you will hate yourself, you will condemn yourself, and you will begin to kind, kind of almost kill yourself in a sense. And I remember I was going through that time and I would experience shame in the light of God's presence through someone's words or through scripture or some way would come into my life. And I would begin to start getting to this place where I would feel bad until I felt bad enough that I felt like I could be good in God's presence again. You ever do that? And then God began to share with me and reveal to me that, you know what, when I reveal my light upon you, I do it totally out of love. When you feel the shame, the shame should just allow for you to realize that you're human And all I want you to do is recognize shame is like embarrassment that you really can't do it all yourself. You need me. You just need me. When the light is exposed, you begin to see the light in that way. You begin to love the light because when the light comes, it's not God trying to hurt you. It's not someone trying to hurt you. You begin to realize whether they even are trying to hurt you, that God can always use it to bring good because he wants you to see it, expose the shame and let you know how much you need him because he loves you so deeply. So I'm on this plane. I'm flying from Fort Myers through Dallas to Chicago for a conference, and I'm on the plane from Fort Myers to the Dallas leg. I'm wearing off-white pants. I love sometimes sitting on the plane because you get served Diet Cokes or whatever I want, and I can read, and no one disturbs me. I'm not the kind of guy who tries to lead the whole cabin to Christ. <laughs> I like just reading, and hi, how you doing? Good, good to have you next to me, but quiet now. I'm reading. Um, and I was reading, and I went to scratch my head or something, and I hit the Coke, and it went down on my lap, and on my off-white pants was this nice big blotch of Diet Coke on your seat. Oh, it's just such a bummer, you know? And I felt so stupid and so embarrassed, and I knew I had to take that long walk. I didn't have my, my luggage. I actually checked. I didn't check it anymore after this, but I took... and. Um, I walked a long walk to the next place, and on my way out of the plane, when I first was getting out, I was trying to strategically hold my briefcase and my, my paper, the paper in a way that, you know, how do you get it around your whole self? I, and I was feeling shame, I was feeling embarrassed, until I finally just said, you know what, I could care less what these people think. I'm a human being, I made a mistake. It just shows that I am not all that I wished I was. And I thank God that you are all who you are and that you love me as I am and that you're taking these kind of things in my life that sometimes show up, whether I do them myself or it happens to me, and you're the kind of God who's going to come along and you're cleaning that out of me. And I'm going to walk now with pride because I got this spot on me and that's who I am. 
And I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to say, God, you love me. And you know what? I really need you because I do a lot of spilling. When the morning light, which is the first light after deep darkness comes, don't run from it. When you see yourself in ways that you don't like and you feel shame, don't beat yourself up. Just say, thank you, I need you, God, and I thank you that you love me, and you are going to, because you promised to make me to be like Jesus in his character. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. They're going to sing, but as they come forward, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head for a moment. Father, we are going to take a few moments to worship you and to love you and to thank you. And if you're feeling shame this morning in some area, love the light because God is warm in it and is, is in the process. If you just quit beating yourself up and you open yourself to him and walk with him, he is changing you to become like himself. Amen.